0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. So before I teach scripture, can I share some some personal good news and some personal bad news? Which would you like to hear first? That's a psychological question I'm messing with you right now. Like who here likes to hear bad news first and get it out of the way? And who here doesn't like bad news and what's just the good news? Um, Here's the good news. No, I'll start with the bad news. So the the, the bad news is uh, after Christmas, I contracted COVID and I'm three weeks past getting COVID now but still have some like lingering effects. My chest still feels heavy. I'm still coughing once in a while. So if I cough today, like just know that. I went to my doctor on Friday and got all checked out and she was telling me, yeah, some people have these lingering effects that can go a couple months. And so I'm praying that it won't go that long because this is kind of an uncomfortable time to be coughing. Right? You just don't want to go to work or go to a coffee shop or go to the store or hang out with people and you start coughing and they're like, whoa, dude, get away. I almost want to wear a sign. Here's when I contracted COVID. Here's the date. <laughs> I'm uh, double vaxxed and boosted. You know, you just want to do that. And, if, and for you who've had COVID, you know what I'm talking about. Um, so, yeah, I'm just praying and believing God for that. But that's kind of bad news that I got this week. Now I'm going to share the good news I got this week, personal good news. So I've been a, a long time Cincinnati Bengals football fan, for 40 years, since I was 10 years old. And, and it has been 33 years, my jealous friend just got up to leave, but that's okay. We have, there's grace for you here, man. Um, for 33 years, my team has never been to an AFC Championship game. The, the last time they were, I was a senior in high school. And they, they won yesterday and made it to the AFC Championship game. And so this is good news slash disclaimer. Next Sunday, they have the biggest game they've had in 33 years. I will be wearing the church. I know pastors aren't supposed to do this. I am going to be wearing a Bengals jersey and a Bengals baseball hat. I'm not preaching, so the board's not going to fire me. But I'm going to be wearing that in, in, in celebration and in prayer. And I don't know, it'd be great if some of you could fast for that. <laughs> I won't be fasting, but if some of you could do that, that would be really meaningful to me. Okay, let me jump in and, and teach some good news of Scripture. So today we're going to continue our sermon series on First and Second Thessalonians. And these were letters that were written to the church at Thessalonica by three pastors, Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And when we teach Scripture this way, when we walk through a book of the Bible verse by verse... Uh, There are oftentimes themes that develop and unfold and they move towards something, and so they build as you go through the book. And it can be advantageous to know what was shared in the previous chapters when you're covering the new chapter. And so, before we we dive into chapter four today, which is a pretty challenging chapter, um, it's important we first rehearse what was laid out in the previous parts of this letter because it's it's going to lay the groundwork for what's going to be shared in chapter 4. Now, in the first chapter, Paul, Timothy, and Silas commend the church at Thessalonica uh, for their faith, for their hope, for their love. They they say this about them, that, that you've become an example to all the believers in Greece. And so, the church is really crushing it in a lot of ways. Remember when Ian introduced this series a few weeks ago, he said that 11 times in these letters, Paul, Timothy, and Silas say these words, you already know. And so this church is really doing, already doing a great job of following Jesus, of engaging in the mission of Jesus, living as his disciples. But these three pastors also want the church to continue to grow in their faith, right? Because they understand that that following Jesus isn't static. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey. That our spiritual growth, development, and and maturity is a process, and we're constantly being shaped and formed by the Holy Spirit. He's constantly filling in the gaps of our faith, right? We read that last week in chapter 3. And in chapters two and three, these three pastors, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, they write about how they had become such close friends with the people in Thessalonica, specifically the church at Thessalonica. And they say this, that we didn't just share the good news of Jesus with you. We shared our very lives with you. And so there's this evidence of this really close bonding, this really close friendship that had developed. (coughs) And the reason that they're doing this, the reason they're discussing and rehearsing their relationship is because they want the Thessalonians to know this, that everything they're teaching comes from a place of friendship. It comes from a place of care. It comes from a place of concern and relationship. And I think the church at large today can learn a lot from that. We can learn a lot from this letter. See, when when I know someone who relates to me as a friend, and they care about me and my well-being, and they're concerned about me, I'm way more willing to listen to what they have to say because they've earned the right to speak into my life. You know what I mean by that? It's one thing when a stranger comes up and challenges you, you take it different than when a friend, somebody who really cares about you, challenges you. Now, I may not always like what is said. Sometimes it can sting a little, especially if I'm being corrected in my be- be- beliefs or behaviors. Um, but I'm more prone to listen. Can I tell you an embarrassing story about myself? <laughs> so when I first started out in ministry, I was in my early 20s, young and foolish. I'm still young and foolish, right? But I was more young and foolish then. Just, I just knew, I was just learning. And um, I had this friend named Molly, and she helped me in of the youth ministry that I was coordinating and running. And Molly had an older brother who was severely disabled And had special needs um i only had i think one child at that time my my oldest son jared he was just a little guy and and this is really embarrassing but back then there was a season of my life when i would say this phrase that's so retarded it's so embarrassing to even say that like i feel the shame even in saying that but i i said that often and one day my friend molly Her and I were kind of getting ready for our youth night. And and she said, hey, I I know you don't mean to do this, but when you say that, it's really offensive to me because I have an older brother and he's called that. And and I've learned so much from him and and God has used him in so many ways. And that term, the way you use it's just so demeaning. And and here I am now, years later, I have a son with special needs with cognitive delay. Back then, I, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't understand. And I was able to listen to my friend Molly because I knew she cared about me. She wasn't coming from a place of judgment or condemnation. She was challenging me, right? But it was because she wanted what was best for me. And and I share that story to say this. When we read chapter 4 today, it's important to know where Paul, Timothy, and Silas are coming from. Because they're coming from a place of genuine care and friendship, right? They want their friends in Thessalonica to live into their calling. They they want God's very best for them. So let's dive in and read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. As We have taught you. You live this way already. See, they're, they're already disciples of Jesus. They're already crushing it. And we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And so they, they start this chapter out by saying, the things that we're teaching you didn't originate with us. They came from our rabbi. They came from our Lord. They came from Jesus. And in chapters 2, they say the same thing this way. They say, when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God. And so they're prepping the Thessalonian Christians for what's coming next in this teaching because they're going to address something immensely intimate and personal. They're going to address the topic of sex and sexuality. Now, before we dig into this next few verses, I want to give a caveat. And here, here it is. I understand that the sexual ethic of Scripture can be difficult to talk about in large group settings, like this, right? And one of the reasons for that is because sex is so, and sex and sexuality is so personal and intimate and private. So having a pastor like me uh, lecture you about biblical sexual ethics can come across as judgmental at best and condemning at worst. And I understand that. I get that. And and let's face it, there are certain conversations that are best had in smaller settings that allow for dialogue, right, rather than a large setting like this. And so I'm aware of that. Um, As I cover this next part of chapter four, I'm going to do so carefully because I, 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 I see this about Jesus. See, Jesus didn't do most of his teaching in church like I'm doing today. He did very little teaching in church. Most of his teaching was conversations with people as he lived and as he walked around and did things. And so I'm aware of that, right? There are some settings that, that it's just are more healthy to have conversations that are difficult like this because they require dialogue in, in their nuance, right? And so... Um, as I cover this next bit, I'm going to be careful. If you want to have more conversation at a later time about it, I'd love that. I, I, I'll promise to listen to you. I'll listen well. Um, I won't be dismissive. I understand there's nuance, that everyone has their own experience and story. But that being said, as a pastor, I also don't want to run away from passages of Scripture that are difficult and challenging that we have to wrestle with. Right, And the reason that I don't want to do that is because I'm convinced that if we never allow God to disagree with us, then we're not interested in worshiping God and following his way. We're only interested in worshiping and following our own way. right? If we never wrestle with the parts of Scripture we don't like, then we're simply creating a God made in our own image. And a lot of times as Christians, we... we that's just, it, it's easier to do that. It's easier just to, to kind of hide and ignore all the parts of Scripture that we, we struggle with and we have questions about and, and feel difficult. Um, but I'm convinced as, as a pastor, as followers of Jesus, we, sometimes we have to live in the tension. We have to be like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to go in this tension even though I don't quite understand it and I have questions and it's difficult and it's challenging. I'm still going to wrestle with it. Okay, let's go on these next few verses then. I'm going to read verse 3 through 10. This is the section we're going to cover. Chapter 4, verse 3. God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways, Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife. For the Lord avenges all such sins, as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Well, that's rough, right? Whew, it's a mouthful. Verse 9, though, But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. (coughs) Excuse me. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Now, when we read a passage like this, our tendency is to make it all about sin management. In other words, we read a passage like this and we say, okay, just do this, don't do this, stay away from this, and everything will be good. You'll be good to go. Everything will be all right. That is not what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are trying to accomplish here with these verses. It's not what they're after. They're wanting the Thessalonian believers to love one another well. And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas are saying that sexual wholeness is a big part of doing that of loving others well. Now, I'm not able to give a robust treatment (laughs) these verses deserve today, but I want to take the rest of our time this morning to broaden our understanding a little bit of what God desires for us as sexual beings. And I want to start here with this. Sexuality at its core is about our deep desire for human connection. Right? It's a longing to know and to be known. It's a longing to see and and to be seen and it's part of God's good creation. And our sexuality is much, much bigger than the act of sex, right? And and there's two distinct parts of our sexuality. There's, There's social sexuality and genital sexuality. And it's important that we understand the difference between the two. So let me just explain and unwrap that because that sounds confusing. Social sexuality is the longing that we all have to bond with others. To know and to be known, to see and to be seen, to experience human connection. So e- even when, when people are celibate, even though they might not be engaging in the act of sex, they're still sexual beings, right? We're all sexual beings. We as humans, married and single, can experience human connection and intimacy apart from the act of sex, right? That's what social sexuality is. Whereas genital sexuality is something different. Genital sexuality is a way we express with our bodies the call to full covenant love and union and commitment. Jesus said it this way when he quoted Genesis chapter 2. He said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so it's important that we don't mistake social sexuality with genital sexuality for this reason. Because if we do confuse those two things, we will run toward genital sexuality when what we're really wanting and needing is social sexuality. Let me rephrase that. We'll run to, to, to the act of sex when what we really are desiring and longing for is to connect with other humans to bond to to see and be seen to know and be known and and we see that right we've maybe even have experienced that before where we think the only way to feel bonded to another human being the only way to feel connected is through this act of sex and that's why it's important to know those two distinctions right that that you you can it's, it's possible to not engage in the act of sex and still connect to humans, right? To, to have that bond and, and to, to know and be known. Okay, the second thing, and I'll tie these two together in just a minute, that's important in this conversation, is, is that God is a covenant God. And so covenant just means a promise made between two parties. And all throughout human history, all throughout the entirety of scripture, we find God making covenants with people. In fact, there's a whole school of theology called covenant theology. Has anybody ever heard of that term before? A covenant theology, and what, what that espouses is that, that we can learn about God and how he relates to the world and how he relates to creation and how he relates to people by looking at all the covenants in Scripture, so there's seven or eight primary covenants in Scripture, and then there's all this other covenantal language that's used. And so if God is a covenant God, if he's a covenant-making God, it only makes sense that, that he would want um, his creation, us as people, um, to be, have covenant part of our relationships as well. And so one of the reasons that, that God gives us the marriage covenant is to provide us with this powerful, nurturing safeguard for the most intimate relationship we'll ever have, right? It's why he he gives us that. And so Paul, Timothy, and Silas in this passage, they're telling the Thessalonian believers sexual wholeness is a massive part of loving others well. God isn't trying to be a cosmic killjoy when he gives us boundaries for for sex. They're they're about loving others well. And so what I want to do just to wrap up this section is I want to share with you um, six formative truths to remember while we're pursuing sexual wholeness. And these come from uh, Pastor Rich Velotis, who is the author of the book, The Deeply Formed Life. And I think we have a slide up where we can kind of walk through these together. Um, I was able this last week, I was supposed to be in Orlando this last week at a a conference. Our church is a non-denominational church, but we belong to a network of other churches. And once a year, we have a national gathering and it's in Orlando, and it's, it was last week. But, of course, with COVID, we had to move to Zoom. And so I did a whole bunch of hours of Zoom last week. It was not Orlando. Um, but one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Rich Velotis from Queens, New York, did six of the sessions. And he's the author of this book. And one of the sessions was this topic. And so I was taking notes furiously, as knowing, hey, I'm going to be teaching on this on Sunday. So I want to share these with you because I just found them incredibly encouraging and healthy. And and, and this is six formative truths to remember while pursuing sexual wholeness. So we'll just walk through each one and and then uh, we'll pray together and close. Number one, sexual wholeness, if if we're going to pursue sexual wholeness, we have to recognize that we're all sexually broken. Not just some of us. Not just all of you and me, the pastor, is not. All of us are sexually broken. It just manifests in different ways okay? It, 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 it's easy for us to focus on the sexual sin of others and just ignore our own, and the church has a reputation for being terrible at that, right? Just poking out all the sexual sins of everybody else but not recognizing that we're all sexually broken. And so sexual wholeness begins when we recognize that, when we can, we can look at ourselves and say, hey, guess what? I'm sexually broken, that's number one. Number two, the second formative truth to remember while pursuing sexual wholeness is that sexual wholeness is not about moral perfection. In fact, we are incapable of moral perfection. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but it's true. We are incapable of moral perfection. And sometimes as Christians, we pretend that, that that's not the case, right? And so sexual wholeness is not about living perfectly perfectly but about wrestling faithfully. Okay, let me say that again. Sexual wholeness is not about living perfectly. It's about wrestling faithfully. It's when we walk through repentance, right? It's when we turn to the Lord and ask him to, to, to change us and shape us into the image of Jesus. And it's this process and it's ongoing, right? We, we, we get to know Jesus and we get to walk with him. But, but it's not living perfectly. We're incapable of that. Now we grow in our faith and we develop and we mature, but we have to understand that wrestling faithfully is going to be part of this process. The third thing, third formative truth to remember when pursuing sexual wholeness, is it requires the act of discerning who I give my body to. So sex is a binding agent, right? It it binds us physically. It binds us emotionally. It binds us psychologically. It even binds us spiritually. It just does. And it's meant to be this expression of of covenant love and commitment. Rich Valotis, in his book, A Deeply Formed Life, he he calls it a sacred fire. It's this fire that's so beautiful and and warming and, and amazing. But if it's not tended to and cared for, it can torch everything. Right. Four. Fourth formative truth to remember while pursuing sexual wholeness. Sexual wholeness invites us to relate to others in ways not given to objectification. Sexual wholeness invites us to relate to others in ways not given to objectification. See, this is why pornography is so damaging because it invites us to objectify others and use others for our own gratification. And the worst thing about pornography is not that it it just objectifies others and uses others for gratification. The worst part of it is it conditions us to avoid real relationship. Which is why it destroys intimacy. It actually ruins our ability to experience intimacy. Because when you think about it, Lust is really all about creating relationships in your head that aren't real. That's what lust is. It's creating a relationship in your head that isn't real. And so instead of engaging in the covenant, marriage covenant, instead of engaging in the act of self-giving love and covenant love, what pornography does is it encourages us to engage in objectification. It encourages us to engage in comparison it encourages us to gauge in self-gratification. And none of those things foster intimacy. None of those things foster covenant love. And so sexual wholeness invites us to relate to others in ways not given to that. Right? The fifth one is sexual wholeness is oriented around seeing God as my source in the end of all my longing. See, our sex and our sexuality will never be the end of all our longings. Only God can do that. Only God can be that. And sometimes we, we, we treat it as such that, that sex somehow is going to fulfill all of our longings and only God can do that. And then lastly, the gospel offers good news to those carrying shame. In the book of Genesis, we find Adam and Eve. And they're hiding behind a tree naked, conquered by sin and conquered by their shame. And then what do we see Jesus do? Who the Bible refers to, by the way, sometimes as the second Adam. What do we see Jesus do? He hangs on a tree, hangs on a cross naked, but he conquers sin and shame. And because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, we're forgiven. We're made holy, which means this. There is no sin that is too big for God not to forgive. And I need to say that. There is no no sexual sin that is too big for God to forgive. That's the good news of the cross, friends. And and we need to remember that when we're pursuing sexual wholeness, right? That, That the gospel offers good news to those carrying shame. And so I, I want you to keep these six formative truths in mind as you pursue your own journey of sexual wholeness. I hope they're helpful. They're helpful for me. And so all I can do as a pastor is pass on what, what I find helpful and true to Scripture and pass that on to you, and I hope it helps you. And I want to pray, close in prayer, um, just to seal this conversation and, and pray that it does help us all. Right? So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we confess the truth that we are all sexually broken. We're all in need of sexual wholeness. And I'm so glad that Paul, T- Timothy, and Silas were able in the, the context of friendship to, to share this with their friends and to encourage them in it and to challenge them in it. Um, Lord, I pray that you would do the same to us. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear even some of the challenging and more difficult things that come with following Jesus? Lord, we, we, we get that you want us to love others well. It's just really hard to do as just broken people. But God, we, we want it. We want to want it. And we want your spirit to walk with us and, and to help us and to encourage us. And we're so thankful for the forgiveness that we have through the cross in Jesus and that he, he conquers our, our shame. And we're so grateful just to have a community of believers where we can be real and honest and authentic about our struggles, but, but still pray for one another, encourage one another, and lift, lift up the, the name of Jesus. And, and Lord, we're doing our best at that today. It still feels feeble. It still feels weak. But Lord, you see our hearts, and, and you see where we are. So I ask that you would help all my brothers and sisters, help me, myself included, as we uh, pursue sexual wholeness in our lives. Not for the sake of, of, of sin management, but for the sake of loving others well. Lord, would you do the work that only you can do? We'll trust you. We'll do our best to listen. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.org.